if we can remember what we've been discussing as we've looked at Titus over the last several weeks, we remember that there are problems in the church on the island of Crete. The one problem is the issue of Christian behavior. The, Chris, the Cretan church is full of people who call themselves Christians but are not behaving in a Christ-like manner. And the reason for this is the other problem. The Cretan church is filled with teachers who are not teaching the gospel. So, the second problem is false teaching. So, Paul sends Titus on a mission to sort out the problems of unchristian conduct and false teaching. Titus will appoint elders who are able to teach and able to refute false teaching. And he'll do some teaching himself on Christian conduct, and through his teaching, he will set an example of what gospel-oriented teaching looks like. And finally, this week, are Paul's instructions to Titus on how to deal with the false teachers. So, the main theme of Titus is the gospel message. This is what we looked at last week at the beginning of chapter 3. Paul lays out the hope that we have through the message of the gospel. Though we were dead in sin and enslaved to sin, God saved us, not because we deserved saving, but because of His goodness and kindness and mercy. And we're cleaned by the Holy Spirit who comes to us through Jesus, and because of this, we have the hope of eternal life. So now catching up to where we are, that catches us up to where we are today, so we move on to verse 8, and Paul says, the saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things. So the gospel message he has just written about in verses 3 to 7, this is the trustworthy saying Paul is referring to. This message of the gospel, this is something we can be sure of, something that we can count on. Paul is highlighting the importance of the gospel message, and he is also commanding Titus to his task of teaching, teaching these things, the message of the gospel, and teaching godly behavior. Look all the way back to chapter 1, verse 1, or think all the way back to chapter 1, verse 1, the godly behavior that corresponds to the gospel message. This is, this is what Titus is going to be teaching, and this is Paul's command, and Titus can confidently insist on these things because of the truth and the trustworthiness of the gospel. And the reason that Titus is to insist on these things and to teach these things is so that, look at verse 8, the second half, it's so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. Again, the good works Paul writes about here is godly living that corresponds to the gospel message. The godly living Paul writes about in chapter 2 and 3 that we've already looked at. Paul's command to insist on these things so that Cretan Christians will be careful to do these things. Now, let's not forget what's important to understand about good works and godly living. Godly living isn't how we gain favor with God. It's not how we pay God back for our sins. We can't do that. Look back what we looked at last week in chapter 3, verse 5. God saved us not because of works done by us, but according to His own mercy. So, we have to remember that any works done by us in righteousness are done in the righteousness given to us by God and are in response to God's goodness and loving kindness. 
So Paul's command is to insist on these things so the Cretan Christians will be careful to do these things. Teach the gospel. Teach godly living. That's what Titus is meant to do. Now, we're going to look at something Titus is meant not to do. Here at the end of verse 8 and in verse 9, Paul sets Titus up for the next command. He says, these things are excellent and profitable profitable for people. These things are excellent and profitable for people, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. These things are the message of the gospel and the godly living that corresponds with the gospel, and these are what are excellent and profitable for people. And this is for all people. The message of the gospel is beneficial for all people. Look back at chapter 2, verse 11, because it brings salvation to all people. And it's beneficial for those who have believed in God, because in chapter 2, verse 12, it trains us to renounce ungodliness and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. And it's also beneficial for those who have not yet believed, because godly living shows the gospel message to be true. Godly living is a representation of Christ to those who have not yet believed. So these things are excellent and profitable for all people, but these other things, the foolish controversies, the genealogies, the dissensions, and the quarrels about the law, these are the false teachings that Paul and Titus are concerned with. These false teachings are unprofitable and worthless, so avoid them. Titus is to avoid the foolish controversies. These things, in verse 8, the good things of the gospel are profitable and excellent, meaning they are useful, beneficial, beautiful, and attractive for all people. And in contrast, the foolish controversies, the false teachings that are unprofitable and worthless, this means that they, are, they have no use, they are of no value to anyone. So the false teaching that's been occurring, it's bad, it's foolish, it's worthless. Titus, don't get involved. Instead, what Paul says previously in verse 8 is instead, teach what is good, teach what is right. When the Cretan church begins to learn the true teaching of the gospel that Titus is sent there to teach, they will begin to identify the false teaching on their own. Now, Paul doesn't tell Titus to avoid controversy, he tells Titus to avoid foolish controversy. There are plenty of legitimate questions and controversies that should be engaged in, but Titus is to avoid these foolish controversies that produce no worthwhile result. Now, we don't specifically know what the false teachings are that are being taught. We have some good guesses, but we don't know exactly what they are, and that's okay because what's important for us more important than knowing what the controversies were and the false teachings were back then, what's important for us today is to be able to identify false teaching now, false teaching that we might experience. And Will, a few weeks ago, when he was looking at the false teachers uh, in chapter 1, he gave, us, um, he gave us a good way to think about false teaching. He said that sometimes false teaching is directly against the gospel, against the Bible, against God, and against Jesus. Sometimes false teaching is based in Scripture, but it's making Scripture about something else besides the gospel. 
so we can identify false teaching when we see the true passion at the heart of the teaching isn't Christ-focused. The false teaching of these foolish controversies is something not about the gospel, not about Christ. It's something that turns people away from God, not to God. Titus is to teach the message of the gospel and the godly living that comes from genuine faith, and in this way, Cretan Christians will learn to know what is excellent and profitable, and they'll be able to discern what is unprofitable and worthless. Now let's look at verses 10 and 11. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. The seriousness with which Paul treats protecting the gospel message comes out in what he writes about the false teachers and what he writes about the task that he's giving to Titus. Paul's own calling in chapter 1, verse 3, is by the command of God and is to preach the gospel that he has been entrusted with. So in Paul's call to preach and protect the gospel message, this is how Paul describes the false teachers. And I'm just pulling these from the different, the different places within the letter that, that Paul talks about the false teachers. He says that they're insubordinate, that they're empty talkers, that they are deceivers, disruptive, teaching for shameful gain, detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Now, this is a serious accusation that Paul is making, and it's rightly so. Remember, the false teachers, it's not that they're misunderstanding something or have errors in their knowledge of the gospel. So, what's the difference between an error and false teaching? Well, an error is a mistake, but this is something different. This isn't a mistake. A false teacher is a person causing division, seeking power and self-promotion. This is a person who is against the gospel and who distorts the gospel. And what does Paul write to Titus must be done about these false teachers? Well, we read that a few weeks ago in verse 1, excuse me, chapter 1, verse 11. He says, they must be silenced. The false teachers, they must be silenced. And again, what we're looking at today, avoid foolish controversies. And as for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Look, heaven and hell are real places, and real people will really go to one of those places after we die. The message of the gospel is God's offer of salvation, the opportunity to turn from eternal death to eternal life. So when the message is twisted and distorted, this could affect someone's eternal destination. So this is a serious situation, and Paul does treat it seriously. And we see in this verse, we see that for unrepentant and unteachable false teachers, Titus will go as far as removing them from the church. Now, in Paul's insistence, in Paul's insistence that Titus silence these false teachers, we also see grace and mercy on offer. 
See, it would be really easy for Paul, and it might even, might even be justified, at least by my own human reasoning, it might be justified if Paul were to send Titus into Crete and say, get these people out of here before they make a bigger mess of things. No questions, no mercy, no grace. But what does Paul do? These false teachers are distorting the gospel message, and they truly must be silenced, yet they are also real individuals. They are human beings that God loves, and He cares for them. And Jesus died for them so they might have the opportunity to be saved. So, in chapter 1, Paul tells, uh, instructs Titus to rebuke them sharply. And he says that the reason for this is so they might be sound in the faith. And when Paul instructs Titus to warn them and warn them again in verse 10 that we're looking at today, he's giving plenty of opportunity for these false teachers to hear Titus teaching the gospel message and to have the opportunity to respond. In verse 11, he says, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped, sinful, and self-condemned, having taught and confidently insisted on the gospel message and godly living, and having given personal warnings twice to a person, Titus can be sure that this person that he is having to remove from the church is stubbornly resistant to the gospel. Despite instruction, correction, and warning, he is deliberately continuing in sin, and by his unrepentant actions, he has condemned himself. Titus can be sure that the removal from the church comes down to this own person's, excuse me, to this person's own wrongdoing. So what we see in Paul's instructions to Titus is firmness in protecting the gospel and grace in discipline. See, the aim of warning, he says to warn this person twice, and the aim of warning is to retain this person in the church community. The aim is restoration. Removal from the church is not the first option. It's the last option that might be necessary to protect the church from dangerous teaching. So, we have to ask ourselves a question, or we have to ask a question. How is it that Paul, who's so concerned with protecting the gospel message, how can he show grace toward the people that are distorting the very message he is so keen to protect? Well, the, the answer to this is in the passage that we looked at last week, which is the gospel. Paul shows grace with those distorting the gospel because of change that has occurred in his own life through the work of the gospel. So think about the words that Paul used that we looked at just a few minutes ago. Think about the, Paul, the words Paul uses to describe the false teachers. Do you remember the seriousness of what Paul says about them? They are insubordinate, deceivers, detestable, disobedient. Now let's look at what Paul has to say about himself. Just going back up to what we looked at last week in chapter 3, verse 3. Paul says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others hating one another. So if we were to take all these words that Paul uses to describe the false teachers and then take all the words that Paul uses to describe himself and we were to compile them into a list, 
we'd probably be pretty hard-pressed to be able to go through that list and say, okay, uh, he said this one about himself, and then this other one he said about that guy. Right? See, the point is that Paul remembers where he came from. Paul remembers who he was before he met Jesus. And because Paul remembers who he was before Christ, he knows what it means to be lost, to be in opposition to the gospel. He knows also what it means to be found by Christ. He says, we were passing our days in envy and malice, so we were living in hostility towards one another. We were jealous and bitter, but, but what? It's in 3 verses 4 and 5, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. This is for us too, right? Because we, all of us in this room, we were passing our days in envy and malice. We were living in hostility towards one another, towards God. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God appeared, He saved us. Because Paul remembers what it was to be lost and then what it was to be found, he's able to treat these lost these false teachers with humility and mercy, ensuring that they too, even in their opposition to the gospel, that they too have the opportunity to hear and respond to the gospel message. So, for us here in Galway City Baptist Church, we must hold firm to the trustworthy message of the gospel. We must defend the integrity of the trustworthy message of the gospel. And we must remember our former lives, that we were once lost, slaves to sin, before we experienced the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior. Paul writes these things because he remembers who he was before Jesus, and he writes these things to Titus, so Titus can remember who he was before Jesus. And we're not immune to this. We can forget about our lives before Jesus. It can happen to any of us. It can happen to me. It can happen to you. Now look, some of you in this room became Christians when you were quite young. So I'm not saying that you're meant to have distinct memories of your life of sin from when you were four years old, right? What I'm saying is that regardless of when we gave our lives to Christ, we know that, bef- that we know what we were before because we understand our struggle with sin now. But even so, we can forget about life before Christ. And this comes out in the way that we treat each other and the way that we treat the lost around us. See, when we forget that we were what we once were, we can be focused and consumed about knowing what is true. We can become frustrated in a debate over what is true or false, and we can forget that the person that we are interacting with is made in the image of God, is loved by God, has been offered salvation by God. See, it's easy for us to forget where we came from, and it's important when we're defending the gospel, or really any kind of discussion or disagreement, it's important that we don't ourselves become people that wrongly represent God and the gospel. We can say the right words, 
we can know what's true and what's false, but if we use our words as weapons and we interact with those around us without humility or grace, what does that make us? What does that tell the people around us about God and about His offer of salvation? And if Paul, concerned as he is about protecting the gospel message, if he's able to treat the false teachers with humility and grace, how should we treat people who only go so far as to disagree with us or have different theology than us? Or how do we treat those people around us that aren't even Christians? So, what do we do? Now, if you're here today and you've placed a bet that you're going to hear somebody say, read your Bible and pray, well, you're about to win that bet. So, what do we do? Well, number one, we read our Bible. Paul writes to Titus, he says, I want you to insist on these things. I want you to insist on these things. We read the Bible because if we're Christians saved by God, we must insist on these things in our own lives. And this is to know God and to know His gospel message so that we may be careful to devote ourselves to good works. Hebrews 4.12 says, the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So we read the Bible because we learn the true, undistorted gospel message, which teaches us to identify false teaching, and it helps us to identify falseness in ourselves. The Holy Spirit works in us, helping us to discern our thoughts and intentions, helping us to remember who we were before Christ. So what do we do? Number one, read your Bible. Don't know where to start? Well, today, Park gave us two great options. Psalm 25, that, that'd be a good place to start. Romans 3, that would be another good place to start. You want a Bible reading plan? Come talk to me, Jason, Park, whoever will help you out. So, read your Bible. Number two, I'm, I'm calling this one prayerful self-reflection. So we're going to ask ourselves a few questions about our passions and our motivations. And just, you know, this is passions and motivations, you know, with regard to Scripture and the Bible and Christian life. Like, it's okay to be passionate about, you know, arsenal, right? So we're going to ask ourselves a few questions about our passions. And so again, a couple weeks ago, Mark, uh, Mark, that's Mark over there, Will makes this observation. He says, you will know a false teacher because their passionate rants steer you away from God. So we're going to take this idea about passionate, passion and passionate rants, and we're going to apply it to ourselves when it comes to the way that we approach God's Word. So my question for you, for us to be asking ourselves is, what are you studying or teaching or debating? What are you most passionate about in Scripture? When it comes to studying the Word, what are you most passionate about and what does it promote? Does it promote godliness? Does it promote closeness to God? Does it promote love for God, love for people? Or does it promote knowledge for the sake of knowledge? Does it promote winning an argument? Does it promote the self-satisfaction of being right? So, 
what you're studying and what you're reading in Scripture and the way that you approach the Bible, is it excellent and profitable or is it unprofitable and worthless? Now, this sort of self-reflection is difficult, and it should be noted that this is meant to be prayerful self-reflection. We pray asking God to reveal to us where we are wrong in our attitudes about knowledge, about knowledge of His Word, and where we are wrong about the way that we interact with people around us, especially when we have a disagreement with someone. Am I looking to win a debate, or am I looking to share the message of hope, the message of the hope of salvation with a lost soul? Am I looking to prove that someone else is wrong, or am I looking for thoughtful discussion of an issue in order to build up a brother or sister. So think about the way that you relate to those around you. Ask God to work in your heart and in your mind to help you learn where you need to be changed in the way that you show grace and humility to others. So we hold firm to the message of the gospel. We defend the message of the gospel, and we must remember our former lives so that we can demonstrate God's goodness and God's loving kindness to those around us. All right, let's pray. Lord, we do pray these things. God, we ask that you would, you would work in our hearts to show, us, to show us where we need to change, to show us where we have wrong, wrong thoughts about you and who you are to show us where we have wrong thoughts about your word and what, it, what it's to be used for, Lord. Show us, show us where we lack humility. Show us where we lack grace. Lord, remind us through your word. Remind us of where we came from, of our former need from, for you and our current need for you. Teach us to know you. Teach us to love you. These things we pray in your name. Amen.